Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Floor is rising. I am Sabertooth, and with me is Kizu. I'm a professional NFT collector, and Kizu is a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. So if you are a creator or collector of NFTs, or you want to be, jump in. The water's warm. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Floor is Rising. I'm Sabertooth. With me is Kisu. And today we have a first for the podcast. We have two guests on at the same time. It is Christian Anderson and Michael Yepsen. They have co-founded the Art Fair June Art, and that has now also extended into a digital form in an NFT marketplace. Welcome to the show, Christian and Michael. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Christian uh, and Michael, how did you guys get into NFTs? I run a traditional gallery that I opened in 2010. I've been in the art world for the past 20 years as a curator and working with another gallery and finally opening my own gallery, which is a traditional brick and mortar gallery. I work with 15 artists in various media. They do video, installation, photography, painting, etc. So that's me. And I came into NFTs through my friend Michael, who is working in this world. And he approached me and asked if NFTs would be an interesting layer to the June Art Fair. I've been in in the world of crypto for many, many, many years, mainly losing money, uh, leverage trading, having to defend my margin by putting the rests that I have into it. So it's just been very expensive for me. And then I've had no, it's just been horrible. Like I've lost so much money on like the most obvious deals. And then I spent so many nights looking at Twitter for the next deal where I could make a 10X or 20X. And I've made so few of them actually. But uh, I also have a past in the world of art. I've been an art critic and an art collector. So I have, I really loved NFTs when it first came out. And then in the beginning of this year, when everything happened with NBA Top Shot and Beeble, I saw the need of something for the established art world. So I think everybody in the whole world that works with any kind of images visually or any kind of art saw what was happening. And everybody was wondering, oh, how can I make something interesting as an NFT? But, you know, you could be the greatest museum artist in the world. You could be like, I don't know, Jeff Koons probably. And you could go on OpenSea and you could make a Jeff Koons collection. And none of the people who are collecting NFTs would know who that was. So we wanted to make a place where we would, just like the old-fashioned art world works, a place where we actually curate the art pieces. And that's how we ended up making June art. And we really thought it was weird that it didn't exist already. So the most places, there's places on the NFT scene that says that they have curated art. They basically have art that is curated by the other users or curated by the token holders and so on. So that's how I got into NFTs. One of the running themes that we've, you know, 
talked about with all our guests so far is that there seems to be very little dialogue or awareness or even um, simply that, you know, the two worlds, traditional art and NFT art, they don't care much for each other, you know, and having, having had an art, a traditional art background, could you tell us a bit about that culture clash? Just the wording we use is like really hard to record it, real art. Like we have, we have a serious problem. How are we telling people what it is we're doing? So we call it established art or we call it like museum artists, but we have to make up some words to make people understand that there is a big difference between like the old gallery artists and these new crypto artists. I think there's an obvious difference, of course, because you have these generative art projects that are basically only about speculation. That is, I know that we can talk about that some of them maybe look good or maybe are interesting, but to be honest, they are not. They are made because people think that they can buy them, store them, and they'll be worth more money. And yes, I'm a bit bitter because I bought many of them myself and I have never got any of them where the floor price is rising. But yeah, so you have the generative art space that is not very interesting. I think that, of course, uh, bored apes and crypto punks are interesting, like in a cultural perspective, but they're not interesting as artworks. So they're like, you know, Vice magazine was very interesting when it was on the top because it said something about a specific generation. I think there's a lot of movies that said a lot about a specific generations. And that's, I think that's how I see these generative art projects. It's not the art that is interesting. Then you have another art scene that you can see a lot on, I don't know, like foundation maybe has a lot of it super rare, rareable these places that are more like, I, I, I need a word without offending anybody, but it's very banal. So it's very black and white. You know, it's the big feelings. It's like, it, it looks really, really good. It's really beautiful. Like it's, it's animators who make art but it is still very, very far from the traditional art scene. And then there is something, of course, in, in this ocean of art that is really, really good. I know there was, there was a lot of stuff I'm saying. I don't know if it all makes sense, but you know, that's the beauty of the, of the internet is, of course, that everybody can put everything out there. The beauty of OpenSea and all these platforms is that everybody can publish but you know what happens when everybody can say something is that most of it is, of course, horrible. Is it a completely different market? Like the, your, your traditional collectors are, are just <laughs> collecting traditional art and they're kind of not at all interested in NFT art. I'm just curious as to what the traditional art collectors are, are, are thinking, if any kind of generalizations can be made about, about them. Yeah, I think that as far as I understand it, that the majority of the sales we've made have been to people that are already interested in the artists that we are showing. So they know of them or they may even have physical works by them in their collections already. There's two ways you can look at this. You can look at NFT as a medium and you can look at as NFT as a scene. And if you look at the scene of NFTs right now, you have 99% generative art and you have a lot of very black and white banal art. And you probably also have something that's really interesting. But when we look at NFTs, it's more as a medium. So all these artists that 
Christian is working with. And we have like 40 galleries that are like world-renowned galleries who put their, their artists on June art. They are constantly working to make something new and interesting. So they are challenging all different kinds of feelings or materials or, you know, you know, like what art is all about. And they see NFTs as a possibility to, you know, go one meter longer in some direction. So for us, it's more a medium. You know, it's a way to solve one of the internet's biggest problems, you know, with JPEGs and the usual talk about NFTs that you can actually mint something and it's unique. So it's uh, it, for us, it's more the medium thing that is very valuable here. You mentioned NFTs as a medium. You mentioned like PFP projects as not really being art. They're more speculative projects. But what do you make of the, the kind of social slash community aspect? You know, we have projects that are, you know, of course, post-apes, post-punks, smaller projects that really are trying to create a tribe. And by tribe, I mean like the people that they have that gather around it and the characteristics of it um it's a dream of course to have the social aspects this way you know it, it's it's a real problem that people are not talking that much about in the old-fashioned art world that it's so small you know it's so few people and they are old <laughs> and then they're small and the groups are small so i think everybody is fantasizing about those social elements i'm not sure how big actually these communities are in the crypto world yeah there, there is something to the way no I, another thing to this i would say though that maybe the most the most beautiful thing about these communities is that they will might create some awareness about art you know so maybe it's a way for people to actually start talking about something that is more artistic or visual that's always been a big problem in the old-fashioned art world that people in the art world are not talking that much about art so I think that actually people in these crypto art communities are talking more about the visual stuff. It's really a social phenomenon. And of course, as you say, sometimes the artwork is peripheral, but it's a different way of organizing, you know, online elective communities in a sense. A bit more decentralized than Web 2.0, for example. A lot more peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, direct commerce obviously selling directly to collectors i think these are all very interesting questions about community about markets so where, where does the role of the galleries come in for example there's two obvious beautiful things about this new kind of economy and nft art first of all the possibility of having your own scene is amazing you can have your own audience now you know that has never ever been possible in the traditional art world I know some of these old-fashioned artists who don't have a gallery and, you know, they die hating themselves, even though they might make a little money. So now you can actually have an audience, make money and still earn respect. That, that's really a beautiful thing. You know, that goes out to all artists, you know, that this is a new possibility. And then another thing that I think is beautiful, at least in theory, is that the old-fashioned art world is is often very, what is it called, like internal. It's often, you know, it's very referential. So, you know, it's, mm. it's like referring to other contemporary artists who refers to other contemporary artists. And even though mm. it's often too banal and often a bit stupid, some of the crypto art, at least, you know, it's more accessible. 
So you know, you 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 can get a, a and more people can get a bigger experience quicker, and then maybe that can lead to some more advanced art. One of the things that galleries did was to open up online viewing rooms, these OVRs, where they would galleries alongside with with art fairs would open up OVRs and trying to sell physical art in the digital. And but that's, in my opinion, a real clash because art requires your presence. So even if you know you can sell physical art on a on a digital platform, then it only really works for primarily flat work, paintings or photographs, or something that's already in demand. Whereas many other types of art, more ephemeral work or conceptual work or sculptural, they have a really hard time in this digital space. And, and that's why I was so taken taking about with the idea of, of the NFTs in hand in hand with, you know, a traditional gallery, because it allows you to put out works of art and what you're buying is, is this thing on your screen. So there's no discrepancy between what you're getting and what you're seeing. Let me play devil's advocate here. I think what, what Michael, I think said earlier was, was very interesting to me, right? Which is that from the narrative of, um, of sort of traditional art, especially sort of, you know, art criticism and, and art history, the stuff that's uh, coming out on the PFPs and generative art is sort of not very interesting and very banal. Um, I would liken it to probably the medium transformation between when film was first invented, right? So before film was invented, the dominant use of actors and actresses was in, uh, was in theater, basically, theater vaudeville. And then when film was first invented, the natural inclination was for film producers, directors, to basically hire you know, the most well-known actors and actresses of, of the day. It turned out that that wasn't actually the case, <laughs> that it was actually a completely new medium. And, um, and the type of things that worked on film wasn't the kind of things that worked in the theater. They were, they were sort of similar, but not really. This happened not just between the transformation between theater and, and film, but also between silent film and sort of talking film as well. When we talk about things like, you know, PFP projects and generative art, you know, specifically, and, and looking through them from this art history perspective, I think there is this perspective that, you know, this is kind of a temporary phenomenon, right? That people are kind of just aping into these projects and eventually everyone will come to their senses and kind of it'll conform to what sort of the established sort of art history narrative is and, and what is considered interesting art and good art will sort of rise to the top and all these PFP projects and, and, and sort of generative art will, will kind of sink. And I'm not sure actually that's the case because uh, I think the history of crypto sort of suggests otherwise. To fully go into your premise you set yeah. up now, you have to be very ignorant to how the art world actually works. So if you actually believe that all art is still made on canvases with people having like a palette of colors, of course, this is like breaking news with NFTs. But you know, that's not really the case. So the art world is extremely diverse. And of course, people since like the early 90s has made crazy pieces of art on the internet, digitally, and so on. So I, I think it's like a continued, you know, it's a continued thing. So it's like some of these 
thoughts? Um, because you said you were the devil's advocate, so now I'm the devil's advocate back on you. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But some of it is like when, you know, some teenagers saying uh, all books are horrible and boring. We can create the new one. Just let us say exactly what we do. And they often uh, fall in, you know, in a pit hole because they don't know what is actually happening out there. There is a chance that something beautiful can make it into art history from the scene right now. That could probably be something we don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I, I would actually tend to agree somewhat with you, Sabertooth, that what we're seeing right now is only scratching the surface of what is to come. Most of the things that I know as NFTs, they, at least what we work with, can also exist in our traditional art world. Many of the works are, are just a, the token is pointing to the work, to the file, whatever that is. And But there are also, as you are very aware of, artists that engage with the token as the work, whereas there aren't that many medium-specific works out there yet, I believe, or at least I'm not so well-versed in it. But I think that's something that will be explored more and more. And I'm curious what will come of it. What is interesting is, will there come a specific aesthetic? You know, what, what would come out of the scene right now? Like, do we get some 2021, 2022 scene or way to do things or a specific way of making an artwork, you know, that can lead to something else? You know, we haven't really seen it yet, but maybe it will come. I think that if you think about uh, owning from an aesthetic perspective, it's very difficult to, to think of medium native, right? Because an aesthetic ultimately is captured in an image or a video file or a GIF file or something. And, mm -hmm. and, and those things can never be medium native. Uh, now, in terms of what could be medium native, it has to basically use some kind of mechanism uh, that is on chain, essentially. And so th there are many, many things that are like this. For example, getting back to... I mean, one of the projects that, that sort of Michael referenced, uh, CryptoPunks, right? I mean, they were kind of the first, quote unquote, first sort of NFT project. And, and something very interesting about, about CryptoPunks is that even though from a normal person's perspective, <laughs> it looks like there's 10,000 CryptoPunks, right? And you have a little image in front of you. Um, if you actually look at what the actual NFT is, the actual NFT is basically one large image and the 10,000 CryptoPunks are basically different tokens that are referencing different coordinates on that one image. Right? And, and so whether, and, and, and that's kind of, I would say, medium native, because that can't occur um, off chain. So, uh, but that, I mean, that's a very simple kind of medium uh, nativeness, so to speak. Uh, another kind of medium native would be what, what Michael referenced in terms of generative art, right? And so, Generative art has, has been around for, for, for sort of decades and, and, and decades. But what is different about the generative art that's happening, you know, on art blocks, say, is that this is done on chain, right? Because, you know, people doing sort of medium native art previously were using sort of software that they would basically fiddle with, essentially. But the people doing medium uh, generative art now have to write an autonomously running 
essentially piece of code that kind of runs on chain. And then there are a lot of people sort of iterating on top of that, right? Now people are doing autonomously run code on chain that has, you know, interaction beyond the initial mint, maybe some sort of deflationary mechanic or, or, I mean, all kinds of things are building on top of it, right? Um, Mm. And so I would say if you look at generative art as purely the JPEG that is presented on OpenSea, I think that's kind of missing a lot of, what the actual art is, right? Which which a lot of people say is not the actual JPEG that's generated, but the code that is sort of running autonomously, that's actually the art, not the not the JPEG. So and I think like a lot of this is just not really appreciated right now because you you basically you see what you see, right? <laughs> you see something on OpenSea and it's basically this four by three square that's that's a jpeg but that's just only a visual representation of what's actually going on and what's actually going on is sometimes not at all similar to what is being presented i, I would say about the crypto punks though that if you came to a, a gallery or museum and said hey we have this image where all these different heads mm-hmm. are on the same page as you described it most people from the art world would probably think about andy warhol who did that with all his portraits so he right. made exactly the same in the 60s uh, or 80s, 70s. And Claude Monet was actually the one who in the 1800s invented this series of art like that with just, it was just uh, water ponds and lilies and stuff like that. So there's a, a, like, if you go into a scene and you claim to be the new thing, it's, it's often beautiful if you can acknowledge who you are standing on the shoulders of. And of course, that's what's missing on the crypto art scene right now. I have another thing actually I thought about earlier that is kind of interesting for everybody. I think so, because what is, is it's a phenomenon in the old art world. It's very important to be first. So often you have art collectors that actually paid a fortune for something, but they will lie a bit and said that they bought it very, very cheap because they were very early. Mm-hmm. So in the art world, from the old collectors, that's like, a, it's very prestigious to know about a phenomenon first. And I promise you on all the art fairs right now, everybody is installing MetaMask wallets on their way to the fair because they want to pretend that they are, you know, of course, we're first on the NFT wave as well. And we we can feel that when we make something like this, you know, maybe we don't, have sales all the time to great collectors, but they actually know a lot more about NFTs and wallets and so on than you than you would expect. I have another project that is called Chess Champs uh, that I do with Magnus Carlsen because we thought that the whole chess world would be ready for NFTs. And we see that nobody in the chess world really knows anything about crypto and wallets and so on. But the art world is is different. So I think the potential is huge, you know, at the old collector's feast. I think it's also um, notable how many galleries are working on their own NFT platforms. It's not, I don't have any concrete examples, but I'd be surprised if we didn't see in a year or two that more galleries had their own NFT platforms or or more um, art fairs also had that. Um, I think it's coming. And I think there's a curiosity out there. I had something, I mean, there, there was a 
Sabretooth had a giant question. <laughs> well, the main thing I took away from it was that, um, in a sense, the prominent NFT artists that we're seeing now are a one-trick pony vaudeville artist. You know, because like, you know, the advent of the new medium and, and they could only do one thing, I mean, maybe very well. Christian, you mentioned that, you know, the art world can be very old-fashioned and self-referential. The same could really be said even more, actually, I think, of uh, the NFT space where it's an endless echo chamber. I mean, the format is different, but it's still kind of a self-curated feed of Twitter. I actually wanted to say that, you know, from my point of view, I think that the crypto art world really needs artists from the traditional art world in order to move forward. You need, you know... The NFT art world needs people like Tao Fei and others like Simon Denny and so forth to, to contribute and yeah, develop, you know, develop things that are full of ideas rather than just the surface. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm not dissing uh, what is going on at the moment and there's many interesting things that I, I know of and lots of things I don't know of, but I think that contemporary artist has so much to offer. Can I give an example of one of the artworks we have on juneart.io? Sure, go for it. Yeah, that would be yeah. a great illustrative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very oh. famous African artist called Januario Jano. And he is from this little city in Africa, in Angola. And he used NFTs to preserve. So he, in his village more than 200 years ago, there lived some birds there who has a very specific sound. And he found the sounds in the basement of the British Museum. And now he recorded it from the recordings. And now he put it on a blockchain and made it as an art world. So the world will never forget how his village sounded like 200 years ago. I think I can play it for you here. One second. Here it comes. That's very far away from generative art, for sure. What is in this? An edition of four, and then you can hear the different birds from then. And now it will never, ever be lost because of the blockchain. So that's a whole other way to use NFTs that I think is beautiful, too. Um, I was wondering if we could have some of your thoughts on, you know, the, the most high-profile drops by the top global contemporary artists that we've seen in the past year. Obviously, we've had Damien Hirst, Currency, Tom Sachs, Rocket Factory, um, Tai Guotian also did a project. And of course, Murakami, Takashi Murakami is doing a drop with the Metaverse Studio Artifact that is dropping just in a few days. I really think the Damien Hirst project is fun because he has made generative art with his dots for so many years. So it must have been a shock for him to see that everybody else suddenly was talking about generative art. I'm really looking forward to hear what Jeff Koons is going to do. There's been much talk about the upcoming Jeff Koons show, which has been delayed for you know a number of years now because of the pandemic. Mm. I really like Uwas Fischer's little statue too he made, which was like a lighter that you know was circling around you. Did you see that one that came out earlier this year? I think in like March, who was Fisher? I was listening I'm, to this uh, talk a I few don't days ago, but oh. that he didn't, he wasn't as successful with his drop because he didn't engage with the community the same way that Tom Sachs did. 
Mm. Um, I heard that there was much more engagement from Sachs' side than there was from Fisher's side. Yeah, so, and I don't I, know if that's true or not. I remember I was there and sitting <laughs> looking at the auction and everybody was so happy about it. And it was Fisher said himself after that it was crazy that it went so high. This was before everything went really mad. So I know, I think when he sees back now, he's disappointed. But I have this favorite artist that I've followed for 20 years called Corey Archangel that makes mm -hmm. works about computer games and computer game aesthetics and like crazy stuff on the internet. I'm like often Googling his name and the word NFT to hear if he's, he will do something soon. Danny, who is already he's already quite engaged in in the world of NFTs, and he's done a couple of curated shows based on the themes. One was at uh, the Kunstverein Hamburg. Uh, it's called Proof of Stake, and there was another one, Proof of Work. A few, well, was it last year or a year before in in Berlin? So there are renowned artists who are very engaged in in making NFTs. Michael and, and Christian, um, who, who are your favorite uh, artists? Uh, so my overall favorite artist is this LA guy called Chris Burton. Google him, I love him. He makes big bridges. He makes huge installations. And he's shot like in, you know, his artwork in the 60s as a comment to the Vietnam War was giving a friend a gun at a show and say, and he said, shoot me. And then he got shot in the arm by his friend. And that work was called Friendly Fire. And it just went crazy from there. That's my favorite artist. I'd have to say Marcel Duchamp, just because he changed contemporary art. So yeah, with his fountain and the ready-made. So that's like a real marker for me. What are your favorite artists, Kisu and Sabretooth? I would actually go with um, Murakami, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, well, one of the reasons is that for me, he represents, I think he was ve he's very of his time. And the multiple hats that he wears, the various mediums that he's crossed. And I think he's really a kind of latter-day Warhol in the sense of uh, the fusion of the artistic and the commercial and it's interesting uh, <clears throat> interesting that Christian said uh, Duchamp is his uh, favorite artist Ariz is the Marcel Duchamp of on-chain generative art Ariz is an anonymous computer scientist from Brazil he's done uh, three generative art projects for emergence pole squares uh, and and panels. Thank you, uh, Michael and Christian, for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. See you on the internet. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this episode of Boys Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. You can reach out to us, send us a question, and just send us a DM on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. <laughs>